Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our guest is Sister Kate, founder of the Sisters of the Valley. Welcome, Sister Kate. Oh, thank you, Kira. Thank you for, for having me on your show. The Sisters of the Valley are located in the Central Valley of California and are a group of women who are on a mission to heal the world through plant based medicine. They take the creation and manufacturing of their CBD tinctures and salves very seriously. They say they infuse their products with healing powers, and this is accomplished through a series of rituals. They only manufacture between the period from the new moon to the full moon. I am so thrilled to get to talk to Sister Kate today about everything about the Sisters of the Valley. I have lived just north of them for the last three years and have wanted so much to take a tour of their facility and get to sit down with Sister Kate. So this is a really, really big thrill for me today. Thank um, you, Kara. Well, you're definitely going to have to come now down to a moon ceremony as uh, follow-up to this. Abs, you are going to have to hold me back from coming now. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk to you today about how you started the Sisters of the Valley and how you lead them and the marijuana grow that that you have in Merced to worldwide notoriety. So I want to start by getting some backstory. So I am really fascinated by the community you've built and the leadership that you've been able to demonstrate in unifying the Sisters of the Valley. And your backstory reads like a novel full of betrayal and deceit at such a huge personal cost to you. But it really clearly acted as a motivator in you creating this movement. So will you share with us your story of how you came to be Sister Kate and how your past has influenced the way that you now lead the Sisters of the Valley? Yes, I was, um, I, I mean, my dirty secret sin that I always have to come forward and confess about is that I once voted for Ronald Reagan. And that's my uh, big sin in my past. I was very much a corporate girl and didn't pay much attention. I mean, contributed to the problems in American society by, by being blind to how bad they were. Um, and then didn't really understand until I, like many people, don't understand the pain of others until they experience it firsthand. So I made good money. I had three children. I had my own consulting firm. I had a supportive husband. I had what you'd think was the dream life. But he started stealing from me and from my business in very clever ways. And over a period of time, siphoned all the assets into weird places like Switzerland and Isle of Man. Um, and then when I wanted to know where the money was, he said, he basically told me I would have to take it up with him in court. So he basically forced me to get a divorce to force me to find where my assets were. And um, in the meantime, I was made very, very poor. I had three children. He had all the money. He had all the ability to win the custody fight. I had none. I had to be 
10 times smarter than him in the legal system to survive it because I didn't have money. Uh, my brother was going through a divorce too, and he was in California. And that's how I got from basically Amsterdam, the Netherlands to California. It was one 18 month period in Kentucky, one 18 month period in Atlanta, and then to California. And once I got to California, we were, it, we were, it was 2008 that the, this was one of the top, this Central Valley was one of the top hit places from the basically uh, real estate scam that was perpetuated by the guys that, that play the stocks, the derivative guys. And my brother and his wife basically went through a divorce uh, as a result of that. And he had three kids. So to make a long story short, we had his two boys, my three children, ages 14 to 20. Plus my sister had a son who was a heroin addict. So, and she sent him to us to like basically the poor man's treatment for your teenager being on heroin is send him far away from everything he knows. And with those six kids, we started a cannabis collective. And in order for me to uh, be able to do this safely, the first can we had to do it very on the down low and we only served uh, dying patients. Um, but we, we also told the children, we, we made a deal with the, the children, which were five boys and one girl and the boys were 15 to 21 that, you know, they had to cooperate, they had to help, they had to go to school, they had to do community service, they had to study an instrument, they had to study a foreign language, they had to do this, this, that, and the other in order for the family to be in this business. Of course, they thought it was radical. And the other thing was uh, that um, they had to grow us vegetables. We sort of made a deal with them that we wouldn't regulate on their cannabis use if they would keep our garden going with all the fresh produce we need to feed a family of eight. And they, they rose to the challenge and they did that. And to this day, I say that we do our young people a disservice that every 14-year-old as a rite of passage should be handed a tomato plant and a cannabis plant and told, knock yourself out, kid, get as high as you want, but keep the tomatoes <laughs> coming and the broccoli and the other things that the family needs to eat. That's kind of the, that's it in a nutshell, my journey to California. And how did you become Sister Kate? So I read that it it started around the Occupy movement, which was really interesting to me because that that time in our history had such a deep impact on me as well. So I'm very yeah. curious to hear about how that impacted you. Well, when I first heard about it, I started researching and I was real impressed that a group of lawyers in Chicago had drafted out their mission. They had a very clear mission, very clear beefs, like 12 points of contention with our system and why it's broken all things that everybody pretty much agrees on. It's not controversial stuff. So, but what happened was I wasn't really inspired to go out and protest until uh, Michelle Obama tried to talk to Congress about how unhealthy our children's meals were. And that was just a bridge too far with our Congress. I mean, she tried to tell them our children's meals are unhealthy. They wouldn't listen to her. They wouldn't let her talk. And a week later, they gathered to declare pizza vegetables so they wouldn't have to listen to her talk. And to me, that was too much. When Congress declared pizza ve a vegetable, I declared myself a nun. And I started going to protests and I got what I thought was my 15 minutes of fame as Sister Occupy. But it led to the formation of, a, like you said, a world-known world sisterhood. And that's because... It was for four years I was out protesting as Sister Occupy. I was in Oakland shutting the ports. I was at 
strikes, bus strikes where the busers, the children were going to lose busing and the people who worked in the busing company for 20 years were all going to lose their jobs. We were at every kind of, oh, the uh, school, they put, did a ballot initiative for a new school that we didn't need because our population and our high schools are on the decline because more people are homeschooling because they're so ineffective in what they're doing. And so I had to go out and protest that when you, my, my argument was when you have four tomato canning factories and you can't get any tomato sauce into the can, you don't build a fifth one. So I got very active in all these fights. All being active as a protester got me uh, basically reunited with my true sisters, women like yourself and other women that were just deeply dissatisfied and frustrated with the system and got dialogue going about what would a new age sisters of, uh, sisterhood look like? What would it look like if we had the power to create a new age sisterhood without any of the patriarchy and without any of our history? Forget our history, let's go fresh. And that became a four year conversation where many, many, many women wanted it to be a religion. And I had to keep reminding them that religions are in the business of selling words the women can support themselves if they're given a fair playing field and we can be good good and own property and own businesses given a fair playing field. What you are saying is really resonating with me. I lead my own community, the Women Empowered in Cannabis, and we are dealing with a lot more women who are spread out over more locations. And we're we're trying to bring unity. We're trying to bring them together. And I'm I'm curious to know, how did you organize these women together? You, There are vows that they take. Yeah, it's very easy, though. We have commerce going on. There's jobs here. And we believe it's a spiritual uh, mission for women. And we feel like there's a couple of things. We don't feel like we're going to fix the problems with the planet until we turn Mother Earth to the center of all our spiritual practices. The Catholic Church and Christianity took it out. We're putting it back in. We're saying, uh-uh, we're going back to where, yes, they actually revered Mother Earth because that's what it's going to take to stop the fracking and stuff. We're going to have to put spirituality into it. And secondly, we think it's a holy mission to get women owning all the property and all the businesses on the planet, because that's the, that's the only language the planet understands. And the only way we're going to be able to straighten this planet out is by the women taking over. So uh, my, the sisters become sisters. They have to be doing commerce with us to become a sister. They have to either be working for us and cashing a paycheck or making things that go in the stores that create wealth. We may, we have a few exceptions to that where we have like Sister Star who had a bad stroke and she's disabled, but even Sister Star, she's like our lobbyist. She works to fight ecle ecclesiastical privilege, which allows the patriarchal religions to victimize children and women through sexual abuse and other forms of abuse. So she's like our, uh, I always call her our pet. We take care of Sister Star. She's one of the exceptions, but she has a holy mission that we support and we connect to. One day when we're bigger and wealthier, we hope we can take it. We can be more philanthropic, but right now I always say I'm only recruiting first line soldiers. Sister Maria in New Zealand couldn't sell CBD. So she started replacing CBD with Kava Kava and making it an activist mission every time she sold her salves and soaps and products to let the public know that they should be sending a postcard to the government 
saying, hey, we can't get CBD in our country. What kind of fascist baloney is this? <laughs> um, in Mexico, the sisters have been working for over a year to get all their relationships in place to launch commerce. There's a definite commercial bent here. And that's because I don't think, I think women have been suffering the brunt of poverty for 2000 years. When women suffer, everybody suffers. When women are lifted up, everyone is lifted up. And I think that everyone would agree at this point that enough holding hands and singing Kumbaya and saying love is the answer. It is time. It is time that the women step up and get in touch with their inner uh, owner of property, their inner person who's a product development person, their inner person who can own things more responsibly and show the men how this is done. I am just, I am so excited by the things that you're saying. It is not very often that I come across someone who has this much passion and this much clarity around how to actually make things happen. And you said commerce, that women can make money and that they can own property. This is such an important key. And one of the things we find is such a the major barrier to entry in the cannabis industry at large is that women cannot find the funding to start their businesses or to keep their businesses going. Exactly. So, so our vision is this. Our vision is that we have Sisters of the Valleys in every province and region in the planet. And all women have a chance to work with the sisters to help create commerce for themselves through their own local kitchens, through their own living rooms. In other words, we have a vast array of things that we've already done on a relatively successful model. Sister Cass, for example, runs our shipping and gets a full-time salary here, but it's not great. It's not going to get her rich, and it's certainly not going to put, in this day and age and climate, it's not going to help her and her family get that far ahead. But her and her husband, during moon cycles, make soaps and tinctures in the big batches that our store buys and then resells. So it's an extension of what's going on here in the Abbey. And we, you have to understand, we are we are not patterned after the Catholic nuns, regardless of what we look like. We are patterned after the women that the Catholic nuns patterned themselves after. That was the Beguines, our foremothers. And they didn't all live in one building and get their period together and wake up at the same time every day and go to bed every night. They were businesswomen. They were women of commerce. They owned hemp farms and cannabis farms and made tinctures and made clothes. And they had farms outside the castle walls and they had stores inside the castle walls. We emulate them. 20% on their farms and their enclaves, 20% of their population were men. But they were hand-chosen men who were either going to help them with their feminist mission and be okay with them owning everything and making the laws, or they could just move on and make their own thing. So, and that's who we are. And so it always shifts the number of sisters we have living here. We started with six. We now have three, but that's because the other three are living close by in better accommodations. And we've started to make like private places where the public doesn't know about because we're more and more in the public's eye. Uh, but the idea is not so much that we all live together and wake together and do this together. And do, it's, the idea is that we all help create a super spiritual environment for the creation of our salves because we believe that the energy travels with the medicine. We believe that our medicine is effective as it is because we treat it like it's holy and we create a holy environment for it. Other than the work, we gather the women, new moons are for the women, full moons are for the tribe. Every new moon, the women get together um, have, and have women time together. Every full moon is for the tribe, which means we have a feast. 
We have a moon ceremony by the fire, and then we have a feast, and we have revelry and merriment because we are concluding another uh, batch cycle, medicine-making cycle. We also stay very plant-based in our diet from new moon to full moon. And then uh, we allow meat once a day in the next two-week period, in the period between making medicines. But while we're making medicines, the idea of uh, doing no harm, staying plant-based in diet. If I had it my way, we'd burn no fossil fuels, but I don't have a coconut plantation. And so our co everything we touch kind of has to come from somewhere. But it's it's the idea that the consciousness and we're not saying we're, 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 we're that good at any of this. We're just saying that we're trying to live this intentional lifestyle that puts Mother Earth back at the center of our practices, that makes a very honorable, that the, the highlight and the fourth, the first thing on our thoughts every day is about creating more sisterhoods so that we can have more women own them and we can have more women be given the gift of working in a very respectful environment, which many of us have never had. You mentioned men. Do you yeah. have a lot of men that want to know how to participate with you and ask why they can't be a sister? Um, I only had one like young man who uh, is gender feminine, I'm pretty sure. Uh, say that he wanted to be a sister and he was quite large. And I remember I was coming out of a out of a, uh, a large debate on cannabis four years ago or something. And I remember just looking up at him and saying, oh, honey, I think we could work that out, but the uniform is going to be a challenge. And he laughed. Um, but we always, um, we're very divided by roles. The men do the growing and the outside work. The women make the medicine on the inside, but we're divided that way because we like it that way. The, uh, most of the people like it that way. We've started, so for our first five years, it was made very much like that. In the last year, we have two young men who wanted to work with the women in the kitchen and in customer service. So we've brought two young men in and they're working with the women, but it's 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 a language thing. It's the these these young men are working with the women, um, and if we had a woman who wanted to work with the men, we would arrange that. We see that as an obligation of the elders to see where people don't fit uh, into binary roles so neatly and to accommodate for them. But the rest of us, we kind of like that the men work out there and the women work in here. How has fame changed things for you? You have now have a documentary out. You have been on Vice doing cool things with celebrities. There are articles about you all over the world. How has that changed what you're doing? It hasn't really. It's kind of irritating to me because the 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 people can't help put in their heads uh, rich and famous like they go together. And mm -hmm. the fame the fame has hasn't really done anything for us. With COVID and the fires, our sales have dropped back to 2015 levels, and we're struggling just like everybody else because those are when America 90% of our customers. Even though we ship worldwide, 90% of our customers are in America. And the biggest group of them are in the West Coast where we had the fire. So if America has no money, Medi-Cal does not pay. It doesn't matter how great our salves are for arthritis and for uh, migraines or whatever. Uh, if America has no money, they can't buy it. So we're suffering right along with everybody else. The, the diff, I don't know, I don't think the fame's really done anything for us. Personally, the Breaking Habits movie was so, uh, made us look so gangster that I feel like it drove out the haters. However, 
we lost banking last year in like June. We were just rudely kicked off the company we bank, the bank that we worked with, Patelco, for five years. Um, and we think that was like a knee jerk reaction to the film being released. Wow. So we feel like we lost banking from the film being released. But then in October, we were reached out by a Midwest bank who said, we just saw the film and we'll take you as a customer. So the bank, the movie film both lost us banking and got us banking. It's just hard to say. Certainly, I think the but I think that whatever struggles we're having now would be worse if we didn't have some of that notoriety. But um, it's just not a, any kind of magic potion. It's nice, but it comes with its own downside as well. Um, and but then I have to say that just <clears throat> this week um, we signed a shopping agreement with a production company in regard to making a TV series out of the book The Accidental Nun which is really my backstory and leading up to the founding of the sisterhood. So, I mean, I think that there's good things still ahead of us in regard to that kind of exposure. So I'm not, I'm certainly not dissing it. I just, it's hard to quantify it. What advice do you have for women in cannabis who are trying to build community and sisterhood within the cannabis industry? Well, I think that my advice is ladies quit working for nonprofits. Quit giving away your power. Quit devaluing who you are. I was going to say that even though Cass makes like 15, 16, 17 an hour, somewhere in there as her day job, her because she's creating soaps and tinctures in her kitchen, this is something that we hoped all women would participate in so that our store in New Zealand would have very much have a Maori flavor because there would be Maori types of ancient wisdom and uh, incense or local products that are made by those women. So uh, my advice to women is quit working for nonprofits, quit singing around, sitting around thinking that love cures all and make commerce, make commerce. Even if you have to start with a very, very small batch of salves in a pot and an Etsy store, the Etsy's, the Shopify's of the world, they make it possible now that you don't need a lot of capital to, to make a dent. Maria has proved it by make, just making Kava Kava products, salves and tinctures and teas in New Zealand. And she's been selling about 3000 a month for three years consistently at markets and on her online stores. She's one woman working alone in New Zealand. And right now, actually, we're in the process of immigrating her to America, but to work with us here. But my point is... <clears throat> She, she put her products on four different portals that cost her $20 a month. And then she got her face seen at marketplaces. <coughs> and activism. Activism is a good friend to commerce. Say more about that. Well, I just mean that if you're out fighting the good fight, if it's for Jehovah Witness children who we know are abused or and changing laws that protect them, or you're fighting for Black Lives Matters, or you're fighting for the cannabis plant, or you're fighting just against the big mono farming corporate giants that are ruining our lands. I go biking every night and I'm walking every morning. And I know the farms that are run by corporations versus the farms that are run by people because they're so pristine and there's not a personal thing sitting anywhere. So I can see over the five years that we've just lived here as the as the corporate like Wall Street corporate investors gobble up farmland 
and it's not it's and then they mono farm. We actually had our Senator Caballero come here and bring egg agriculture people to show them our plants to say here in five years, all of our mono farming farms are going to have to be growing cannabis to help clean the soil and replenish the soil. So, yeah, I don't know why I got off on that. Why did I get off on that? Because I asked you how activism helps commerce. Oh, okay, that's it. That's it. So we we need an activist movement against uh, big egg. And the best thing women could do is start farming on small farms like we did. We have one acre here and we we traditionally make and sell a million dollars a year of product. Six women and two men, a million dollars a year in product. We pay $140,000 a year in taxes. And we've begun to be respected in these parts. It took like five, six, we're in year six to get any respect from anyone, but just sticking it out. When you're in farm country, just sticking it out earns you a badge. That is very true. I want to get a little deeper on the spiritual side of things. Okay. Let's talk about, and if there's anything that you can't share, that's okay. But I want to know more about your vows. How did you come to create them? And what can you share with us about them? So it's pretty, to me, it was all pretty self-evident. I looked at, I'm an analyst by, by training. So I wanted to know what on the soil that we put our farm on, what were the beliefs of the people of this land in the, around the year 800. And then that was the last time women were empowered spiritually before Christianity wiped them out basically. Oh, and that was the last time that mother earth was at the center of spiritual practices legally uh, in most places on the planet. And then what were the beliefs of my DNA ancestry from the castles of Europe at the same time? So if you looked, if you could go a time machine and go back to the year 800, what would they be practicing over here in Northern Europe? And what would they be practicing here in the Central Valley of California? And we found that of the top 12 beliefs of both sets of people, there were eight things that were exactly the same. And we chose those eight things as our eight beliefs. So the first one is that we organize our lives to be attuned with the natural rhythm of life forces marked by the phases of the moon and the seasonal quarters and cross quarters. That means the equinoxes and the solstices and every full moon are our holy days. We are, and there's much more to that because that basically to us anchors our attention on the gifts of the physical. Number two, we recognize that our human intelligence gives us a unique responsibility toward our environment, and we seek to live in harmony with nature. And again, number two, Mother Earth, back in the, at the center of the beliefs. Number three, we acknowledge a depth of power far greater than our eyes can see, a creator and a connectedness between the people themselves and the planet. We believe that the hurt of one is the hurt of all. The honor of one is the honor of all. So our number three, really, we demoted God and to the mystical, magical other side into item three. We put Mother Earth first with organizing our lives by the cycles of the moon. We put Mother Earth second, as our ancestors did, by recognizing that our human intelligence gives us an obligation to live in harmony with nature. And number three is where we first start to acknowledge a depth of power far greater than what our eyes can see, a creator and a connectedness. That can be whatever a sister wants to make it. There's a lot of room for mysticism and spirituality in that one. Number four, we recognize both the outer worlds and the inner, the spiritual world and the physical world, 
and see in the interaction of these two dimensions the basis for paranormal phenomenon and magical exercises. Beguines and the Native Americans of this land neglect neither dimension for the other, seeing both as necessary for our fulfillment. Number five, do you want me to keep going? Yes, I do. Okay, number five, Beguines seek to control the forces within him or herself that make life possible in order to live wisely and without harm to others. And again, and in harmony with nature. So nature's like in everything. But number five is about control yourself, check yourself, and live at peace with your brothers and sisters to the extent that you have something to do with that. Uh, number six, Beguines and the Native Americans of this land are concerned with the past, the present, and the future. Uh, both cultures revere their ancestors that have gone before them and both tread gently upon Mother Earth in reverence for its current occupants and the generations to come. And the sisters have adapted these in all of our in all ways. We open every moon ceremony, every prayer session, calling on our ancestors. We close our moon ceremonies asking to be made make them proud and also to be forging and doing good for the children that come, the generations that come behind us. Number seven is Beguines and Native Americans is, um, issue, the word is issue, but are against those who seek power through the suffering of others. Beguines do not accept that personal benefit can be derived only by a denial to another. And there is no belief in a Satan figure. Um, and that's also true of the natives of this land. And eight, both the Beguines and the indigenous tribes believed in treating people and their spiritual beliefs with respect. The only animosity held by Beguines toward Christianity or towards any other belief system is to the extent that its institutions have claimed to be the only way and have sought to deny freedom to others and to suppress free will and free choice. And in number eight is where our activism lies. In number eight is where we fight as activists against the suppression of free will and free choice. That's really beautiful. That is and that, and awesome. Go ahead. So, so from that was born our, uh, our vows. From that, our vows. And the way our vow system works is a sister has to work with us for a period of time before they're invited to be a sister. If they're like, and it's an age thing, if they're still like, on the sunny side of 30, 35-ish and younger, they have to take their vows three times over three full moons over two years. If they are 50, 60 and up there in age and they've had a lot of life experience and it's clear they have a calling like someone who's done nurse or a doctor or spent their life as an herbalist or a Reiki healer, um, those women just take their vows once under one full moon. And then it's kind of in the middle for the women in the middle of there. Are the vows they take, there's an acronym spelled SOLACE, S-O-L-A-C-E. And that stands for service. And that's service to the people in one way or another, through the medicine making or through the con contributions to the sisterhood to grow our footprint. O, o is for obedience. And that's obedience to the cycles of the moon, not to any person or religion or philosophy. It's obedience to organizing your life by the cycles of the moon. Uh, the third one is <clears throat> living simply. 
I always say that means we can't own a yacht, but if you own one, we can come for a ride with you. Um, the, the fourth one is activism. That's A for activism. And that means we have to give some time of our week, month, year, our cycle to holding politicians accountable for what they said they were going to do or putting the light down the things they're doing that they shouldn't be doing and bringing uh, politics and accountability in politics as part of our culture, something that our children are raised with. Uh, the, the fifth one is chastity. And in our, there's six definitions of the word chastity, and we chose the definition, which is to privatize our sexuality uh, for a number of reasons. We show respect to a plant that's been disrespected by covering ourselves when we're around that plant and looking formal in our attire. Uh, Muslim women are the only women on the planet who still dress like our ancient mothers do, did, and that makes them a target of persecution. Um, and also because that's how our Beguines dressed. We dress like our Beguine ancestors dressed, and, and that is identifying an enclave by their colors and by their dress. So chastity is the fifth one, and the sixth one, and the most important one is a vow of ecology, where we commit to reducing our footprint every year. And that that march towards living in peace and harmony with Mother Earth continues as a as a, a project, an ongoing project. And what if, what did you take from the plant itself? So a lot of the women that work in cannabis have a deep, deep reverence for the mystical healing powers of the plant. How has that impacted your spirituality around the sisterhood? Well, we're just women of science. And uh, one of the first uh, women, in women in cannabis, is that what it was called? Women Grow, Women Grow conferences that I went to. It was delightful. A husband and wife spoke on the fact that First, he lost his job, then she lost her job, and they started growing. And they took two segments of her house, and they wanted she wanted equal but separate grow operations. So she had one place, and he had another place. And they used the same nutrients and got the same clones, and every, everything was the same, same, same. The only difference was that she blessed her plants and meditated with her plants. And she got a 20% more output at the end of the day than her husband did. And he was there to testify to it. So we're just women of science. We think the plants are magical and they have magical healing powers and they're, they're super cooperative and do for you what your body needs it to do. Uh, but we don't put cannabis in our prayers. We're a little more old fashioned. We're not Rastafarian. We smoke after the, the service, not before. Um, it's part of our wine, weed and revelry section after everything is done, after the prayers and the blessings are done. But we certainly understand it and have respect for people who do use it. We've had women come here who like only smoke on a full moon when they do their thing with the with a fire circle and it becomes part of their prayer service. We understand that and we respect it. It's just not what we do. So Sister Kate, if someone listening to this wants to reach out to you for more information about what you do, they're interested in becoming a sister themselves, how do they get in touch with you? How can they find out more? So just recently, because of struggling times, we launched a Patreon. And in order for people who want to be sisters or brothers or even business, we make business partners, anybody go in there to Patreon, pay the $5 once. 
and fill out the questionnaire because we have to know the people we're going to work with. And it's very detailed. And then from the people in that database is where we're choosing our new partners, new hires, new jobs. From the people in Patreon are the ones that are going to be getting the announcement. We, we all should so have other choices. We call it our fellowship program. So if people are on the Facebook fan club fellowship program or if they're on OnlyFans, it's the same, same thing. They get a, a downloadable free copy of our Book of the Begins, which is about a 100-page manuscript of all our customs, prayers, and all our readings for the first four years and all our ceremonies. And they get moon ceremonies every month if they're in the fellowship program. But what I'm saying is if somebody says, I want to join, but I'm butt broke, just pay the $5 once and cancel it and do the survey and get all your information in your database so you become on our radar. We don't purge you out if you can't pay the $5 every month. We don't care. We just basically had to make like a handling fee associated with it because otherwise the sisters won't work on it. The sisters work on things that are commercial and make our life better. And we think all women have to think that way to value themselves. Um, and then if you need our CBD or are interested in our store where we have blogs in the further right corner, we have all our information like how you can see our sisters in New Zealand and Mexico and other places. That's sistersofthevalley.org. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to answer that so long. Just go to sistersofthevalley.org. That's okay. I, I'm, I think everyone will be happy to get that information. And I was fortunate enough to get to try some Sisters of the Valley staff at the, um, I believe it was the launch of the Weed the People documentary in Modesto. And I loved it. I loved it. it. Ran out so fast. So the products are amazing, and I can definitely attest to that. Yes, I think it's really funny because people get mad at us if they run out of salve and we can't get it to them soon enough, and then they'll give us a bad review on Trustpilot. The reviews like this: I really rely on that salve, and it's taken me seven days, and the order hasn't gone out. And I, I just kind of giggle because they're trying to give us hell, but what they're really doing is complimenting the craftsmanship of the sisters and the kitchen, which it is an artist and craft that we're doing because everything is still six years later made by hand by the sisters. Wow. In ceremony and being blessed. Yes. What an incredible product. Thank you so much, Sister Kate, for your time and for sharing your journey with us today. Okay, Ladies, good. It was nice talking to you, Kira. I'm hoping to see you at a moon ceremony soon. Oh, you can bank on that. I okay, will good be there. Uh, thank you ladies for tuning in. If you have not yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our website, womeninpoweredincannabis.com and find your group. We have one for the supply chain, CBD and hemp, and the recently launched Women of Color. WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in, the, in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. Join us next week for another conversation with women leading in cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com.
Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.